Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, podcast listeners, Al Martin here. You found your way back to Making Data Simple. This is where we talk about trending technologies, business innovation, leadership, entrepreneurship, uh, pretty much anything. We always have a little bit of fun. Today, speaking of fun, I have Sam Tucker, who is the CEO and founder of Veg3.ai. It's a vegan marketing assistant. And look, is it Veggie? How do you pronounce it? Well, I'll stop right there just to make sure I get it right. Well, first of all, our marketing's working because part of the idea of the name was actually to get people debating how do you pronounce it. <laughs> but the real answer, uh, well, I mean, there's a few answers to this. We don't mind how we pronounce it. What I like is VEG3. It's a little bit of a play on words with GPT3, which is the underlying technology that it uses. Nice. And also it's a play on words with Web3 being Veg3. Nice. You would prefer VEG3. Yeah, yeah, that's what I call it uh, and what we generally call it internally. But yeah, any way of pronouncing it is fine with us. We kind of like came to the name <laughs> to let people have that flexibility. Perfect. VEG3 it is for me though. All right. So look, the general topic, folks, we're going to talk about today is AI data startup. I'll give you a little intro as I always do. Sam is a courtesy and hopefully I won't mess it up too much. And then I'll, I'll turn it to you to, to, to really give us the goods. Sam Tucker, founder of VEG3, the world's first artificial intelligence marketing assistant for vegan businesses. Sam is the owner and founder of three different data-driven organizations, including Vegan Creative Compass, a vegan digital marketing agency, Vegan Media Market, an online vegan freelancer marketplace, and VEG3, as is just aforementioned, an artificial intelligence marketing assistant for vegan businesses. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. I want to give you a lead in, but I got a I feel like I've got an admission to 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 make to you. you do you do you guess what that admission might be? All right, lay your confessions on me. <laughs> uh, I am not a vegan. I, I but I am willing to learn. I am willing to learn and I absolutely believe in animal rights. I'm a dog owner. Believe me, they live better than me. I have to tell you. They boss me around as well. Uh, they're not vegans either, but we are all willing to learn. Uh, hopefully, you're still going to talk to me, and and there won't be too much shame shame to go around. No shame with judgment here, and um, I'm a big dog lover too. I actually got my rescue sitting under the desk right now. Nice. She comes in here every time that I'm on a meeting or a podcast. She always wants some cuddles. <laughs> I don't know where mine are though. Usually, they're here barking, and you know we just go with it because that's in the new world. That's the best thing that came out of COVID, to be honest with you. Yeah. Is to let us live life the way it was supposed to be lived. So go ahead, introduce yourself if you would. You know, start from you know start from the childhood because I, I don't want you to leave out the fact that you started vegan radio at age twelve. So start us early and bring us to today, if you would. Yeah, for sure. So I guess the story starts back there at uh, twelve. I don't know if there's uh, all that much interesting before that happening, but when I was twelve was when I came across a lot of like information about animal rights. I made the switch to veganism myself and I started a radio show on a community radio station that was basically talking about animal rights issues. So I became quite involved right from the start and trying to advocate for animals like beyond just my personal diet as well to really try to create some, you know, wider scale changes than that. 
So that led me through uh, the path of, you know, getting involved in animal activism. And like uh, the stereotype, I ended up at, in the early days, probably also fueled by teenage angst, but the stereotypical angry <laughs> vegan, right? It's like a, a rite of passage that we all have to go through. But luckily, I came out the other end. And I start, and that was through learning about effective communication, essentially. So when I was learning about what effective communication looked like in activism, what I started to realize is that a lot of the techniques that we were using were actually marketing and sales techniques. And so a lot of activists were kind of, I guess, um, doing whatever sort of activism felt good rather than looking at the actual effectiveness. But when I started really digging into the data around communication and being effective in that, I just saw a massive shift in you know, not only uh, the effectiveness of the outreach, but also just like my personal relationships, like quality of life, everything just flows a lot better when you're actually um, taking a data-driven approach towards achieving your goals. So I ended up studying a Bachelor of Communications. After that, I got a job with a nonprofit. So I was basically their outreach manager for all of Australia and New Zealand for about five years. And throughout that process, the majority of what I was doing was basically talking to students on university campuses about animal rights issues and applying a lot of this kind of uh, research on effective communication into uh, the strategies for how we approach those conversations, how we created our outreach materials, all of those kind of things. But I noticed that there was a big limitation in this kind of one-on-one -on -one approach in person on campus. And that was the scalability of it. It's like, you only have so many hours in a day. You only have so many people you can talk to. And so in a single day at a university, we might be able to talk to say like a hundred students, but then we could go and make a post on Facebook that reaches a hundred thousand overnight. So I became convinced that the digital uh, space was really important to expand that impact. And so that led me towards basically going back to university, finishing a degree in digital marketing, and I started the marketing agency at that point. Then throughout that process, I realized we had so much data and digital marketing from all of these different clients we were working with that it was too much for any one human to actually comprehend. Like we're talking millions and millions of rows of spreadsheets. It's like, how do you make sense of, of that much data? And the answer to that was with artificial intelligence. So that's when we pivoted towards um, more of an AI focus. And that's what led us to starting VEG3. But you got three companies in one, correct? I mean, is it all VEG3 that these three pieces fit underneath the, the marketing, the marketplace, the assistant, or is it three separate companies? So they are all under one company, um, but they're kind of like separate brands. That's the way I think about it, like different brands under the same company. Did you start them independently and like bring them together? Or is it just where you, you found that problem statement, as you described, mm -hmm. and then you'd, you'd create another brand? Yeah, it definitely flowed very naturally. So we started with just the agency. And then through running the agency, it was through problems that I noticed that we were having in the agency setting that I started these other two brands. So one of the problems we had was that there was a lot of solo entrepreneurs and small businesses who just couldn't afford an agency service fee. So that was the inspiration of starting Vegan Media Market was to create an affordable marketplace where 
those businesses that haven't scaled up yet to the point of being able to afford an agency, they can still find individual freelancers to help them out with specific tasks. And then uh, with VAG3, again, it was just like the sheer amount of data that we were dealing with as a marketing agency and trying to get a better understanding as to like insights that we could apply to our own clients. And then through that process, we actually ended up creating something that we realized could have uh, a much bigger potential and could be a product in itself. First of all, I'll say that I love anybody that lives by their values. Look, you've lived your values so much that uh, you've created a company around it and that's what you do every day. Fantastic. Who is your client base and what's your investor pitch here? Yeah, so we do definitely have a focus specifically on vegan businesses. So that links into our values, but also just um, our experience as well, right? So uh, I started the agency essentially as a way to, I guess, increase the impact uh, that, you know, my sort of communications were having for animals. And so everything that we've done has been an extension of that. So that's definitely our primary user base. But within that, there's a wide range of different types of businesses that we serve. So we work with everything from like e-commerce businesses to coaches, solo entrepreneurs, the whole kind of range of services, B2B, B2C. I would imagine traditional marketers could market for you know vegan businesses as well. Why would yours be different? Basically, it comes down to understanding the consumer psychology and how it's different when it comes to promoting vegan products versus ordinary products. So there's actually a bunch of research that's been done on effective communication strategies for things like meat reduction. And most marketing agencies don't have that knowledge. So for me personally, I come from um, that background of five years in the nonprofit space. During that time, you know, we were, it was a very data-driven organization that I was working with. They were always looking at the latest research on what strategies were effective. So we incorporate a lot of that knowledge into what we do for vegan businesses. And because of the fact that through the marketing agency, you know, we've gained a lot of marketing data from vegan businesses, the AI that we've trained are really fine-tuned to that specific use case. So as an example, um, I used to use like some of the sort of mainstream AI copywriting services like Copy AI, Jasper, that kind of thing. And often mm -hmm. what we would find when we were asking it to write marketing copy for vegan businesses is it would not really understand what veganism meant. And sometimes it would even uh, basically write copy that was promoting non-vegan products instead. So if you said like vegan leather shoes, it didn't have enough understanding as to like what veganism was to actually write stuff consistently. So that's part of it is basically that the AI that we've generated now is much more fine-tuned to understanding what veganism is and like the values that the brands represent, but also it's fine-tuned to successful marketing copy as opposed to just generic marketing copy. So because of the fact that we have that marketing data from our clients, we can see, for example, which social media posts got the most reach, which blog posts got the most organic search traffic. And so we fine tune based on that data to make it generate more copy that is more likely to succeed for these businesses. Is your go-to-market a service then? Is it a subscription? Yes. Yeah, so uh, VEG3 is uh, like software as a service. It's on a monthly subscription. And then uh, for the agency side, we do like monthly retainers. And then for a vegan media market, it's a commission fee based on all the services sold.
Well, just to make sure that I completely understand what you're offering here, can you describe a use case or one of your customers' journey on, on how they would secure your subscription and then rely on that marketing assistant for their business? Let me just give me a, a few descriptions. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say, for example, you're a business that sells vegan cheese. So when you log into VG3, there's going to be a bunch of different text generation models. So let's say you have uh, an infographic that you want to share and you want a social media post for it. Like you're trying to write the caption. You would just describe what the infographic is in VG3, and it will then generate uh, captions that are likely to perform well. Then if you wanted to turn that into a blog article, you could put the keywords vegan cheese or whichever ones you wanted to rank for in SEO into the blog generation model. It'll come up with a title, an outline. You can then put those into the paragraph generators, which will basically write an entire SEO optimized blog for you. And the same applies for basically every type of marketing copy you could imagine. So whether that's captions for ads, uh, email marketing, subject lines, the body of emails, press releases. We've even got like responses to anti-vegan comments as one of the models we've generated. <laughs> How big is the space? The vegan food market at the moment is worth $39.42 billion. So we know that companies on average spend about 13.8% of their annual revenue on marketing, which then uh, becomes about $5.43 billion that vegan businesses spend on marketing. And then we also know that 50% of a company's average marketing budget is spent on a mix between the marketing technology and agency service fees. So that leaves us with a total addressable market of $2.7 billion on marketing agency services and marketing technology for vegan businesses. So are you venture funded or are you independent now or already off and going? I mean, are you cash flow positive? Yeah, so uh, we've been cash flow positive almost since the beginning. Uh, we only had like a few months at the start where we weren't profitable. Uh, we've bootstrapped it all ourselves up until this point, but we are going to be starting a seed funding round soon. Let's go into the technology a little bit deeper. What technology are you using around your assistance? I presume chat GPT is going to surface here. We'll t discuss that, but what other technology? Yeah, so... We do use uh, fine-tuned versions of GPT-3 for all of our models, and then we are fine-tuning these on marketing data from uh, our vegan business clients through the marketing agency side. So we use things like uh, Facebook ad reports, Google ad reports to pull up the actual data on what's effective and what's not. Then we take out all of the stuff that's below average, so we're only training it on above-average performance. And then we also have prediction models that we've trained as well. So we take all of that marketing data we have from clients and we can train models where basically they can extract from, say, a caption. They can categorize that into like the tone, the topic, uh, the sentiment analysis, how many different keywords were in it, for example, all of these different figures. And then we run that through a predictions model that starts to learn the connections between all of these things and starts to see why is it actually that some of these posts perform better than others. So we're in the early stage of that predictions model, but the next step of what we're going to be doing is we're going to be uh, creating connections between those two models so that they essentially train each other 
based on the ground truth of the actual real world results. So what we're going to be able to do with that is we're going to be able to create a text generation software that automatically learns what posts are actually doing well or not specifically for your business and then fine tune based on that to get better and better over time. What is proprietary in what you offer that is the secret sauce? I think the secret sauce is the data itself. I think that having large collections of this marketing data for this specific niche is what enables the technology to be as good as it is. So, and I think this is like, seems to be the case across a lot of different um, use cases in AI is like, I really think that the volume and the quality of the data is one of the most important factors and how the model is going to perform. Chat GPT-3, it'll take any question. It'll give you back anything that it's trained with. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say, it's not isolated to, to the vegan type questions. However, your repositories have more detailed information around the vegan media market versus what chat GPT three could provide out of the box. Yeah. So that's pretty accurate. So to kind of give a little more detail on that and maybe like some concrete examples. So the way that uh, models like GPT three are trained is on massive scrapes of the entire internet. So they're basically just looking at, you know, these huge amounts of text and looking for patterns to make predictions as to like, what should be the next character. What it doesn't have is actually the results behind the scenes of how well any of that copy performed. So it could, for example, scrape every vegan blog, but it doesn't actually know how many monthly clicks, for example, that that blog is getting. So because of the fact that, you know, we have access to a lot of the data with our clients and because of the fact that like people give it to us through using the software as well, it enables us to make to produce copy that's much more optimized for the specific marketing results that these businesses are looking for. You're going to have to tell me more. I'm still trying to figure out how the architecture works. Yeah. So you buddy the models with the results of chat GPT-3? So we start off with like GPT-3 sort of as is, as a language model. And then we do what's called fine tuning it based on the top performing results sorry, the top performing examples of copy from vegan businesses. So basically what we're doing by doing that is we're kind of like adjusting the weights to favor the more successful copy over all of the text that it's seen on the internet. So instead of VUG3, sorry, instead of GPT3 looking at, you know, the, it's next word prediction essentially. So if you say to GPT3 something like write a social media post for a vegan cheese company. What it's doing is it's looking at all of the times it's seen social media posts for vegan cheese companies. And it's trying to predict, well, overall, based on all of these different um, posts I've seen, statistically, what is the most likely next word and the next word after that? Whereas what our model is doing, because it's fine-tuned, is it's doing the same thing, but on a starter set that's only the ones that performed well. So therefore it's going to create more copy that's like that small set of what did well, rather than generally just everything it's seen on the internet. 
and you're gonna have to educate me here. I know of GPT-3. Can you take it and put it against your own models? How does that work? Yeah, so they have like a, an API. And once you have API access, you can use that to fine tune models on your own data sets. So you basically upload the data sets as uh, JSONL files with like a prompt and a completion. So an input and an output. And then you can adjust things like the training weights. So like how much you want it to, I guess, bias your data set as opposed to all of the internet that it was trained on. So that's kind of the process for fine tuning. So basically, chat GPT-3 has APIs to leverage their model and you can provide VEG3, see how I'm, I'm following along here, the data sets that are custom built for your vegan clients such that you bring back the answers proprietary to you know your data set. Yeah, Does that's that exactly sense? right. Are, when you do that, you're not giving away your data set, are you? So OpenAI would have that data set, yes. Is that a risk? I mean, I guess like if OpenAI really wanted to specialize in this like niche use case, it could be, but I don't really think that that's uh, something that they're interested in targeting specifically. Uh, but I do think like longer term, you are right that there's always risks in leveraging someone else's technology as opposed to your own. So this is, again, going back to like why we're going to be seeking seed funding soon is because what we're going to do with that is like basically get our own AI servers and use open source large language models and fine tune those instead. So then not only would we not be given the data to anyone else, but we also would have more control as to how we actually structure the models. It'll be easier to make them communicate, for example, with our prediction models and computer vision models. So longer term, I definitely think that our, you know, having our own infrastructure is going to be important. But, uh, you know, we're, we're a startup bootstrapping, so we uh, do what we can. Understood. We the only reason I mentioned that is because you mentioned your secret sauce as being those data sets and you're loading those data sets, uh, taking them from prior to proprietary to putting in the, them in the hands of open AI. Uh, yeah, and no, I, get I mean, that is a good point. And it's interesting to think about with, um, you know, just how many businesses are fine tuning GPT-3 for products. Like, you know, everything from like Copy AI to Jasper AI, like they pretty much all are based on fine tuned versions of GPT-3. So yeah, I, I guess um, it does give open AI a lot of data and, Longer term, I think that is something we would want to step away from. Do you add any other like AI? I mean, I'm still unclear in concert with the chat GPT or is it really founded on chat GPT and the APIs that you're leveraging? So the other models that we have are prediction models. So the text generation itself is coming from, uh, from GPT-3, but we also have prediction models that uh, more like proprietary models. So let me try um, sort of break this down in terms of like what the data sets would look like for each of those because they'd be a bit Please. different. So the data set for fine-tuning GPT-3, what that would look like is just very simple uh, text. So it's two columns. It's just an input and an output. So you're just saying like, you know, if a user writes something like, you know, 
write a social media caption about this. This is an example of a good output that you could give for that. Whereas our prediction models, they're trained on much larger tables with multiple inputs. So we might have in there, for example, the time that the post was posted, the platform it was posted on, we'll have breakdowns as to like different ways to think about the text, like the topic, the tone, et cetera. And it uses all of that information to make its predictions about things like, for example, the reach that a post might get, maybe like the cost per click of an ad or the number of uh, organic search results you get from a blog post. So yeah, those prediction models, those are separate from anything OpenAI does. Do you get any other competitors doing this? Is there anybody else doing what you're doing? So not within like the vegan AI space that I'm aware of. So there are definitely some vegan marketing agencies out there. Uh, but I think that as far as I know, we're the only uh, like vegan AI company focused on marketing. How long has this company been uh, in existence? Uh, it's been a little over a year now. A little over a year. So yeah. we're coming right out of COVID. That doesn't scare you at all? No, I think if anything, uh, we've actually had a down market for uh, vegan products recently. So yeah. I think if anything, the future is looking much brighter than it is now. Where do you see yourself in three years? So in three years, I see VG3 as being the most powerful marketer that exists for vegan businesses. I see it having like beyond a human's level, human level performance and for much, much, much lower cost. Any references you want to talk about? Do you have any references today? Yeah, for sure. So we, we do have a bunch of uh, case studies and testimonials on our website, vegancreativecompass.com through our marketing agency. Uh, with VEG3, we're still in our beta testing phase. So the VEG3 software, we've only actually had operational for, I think it's been about two months now. So we're... Yeah, we're still in the beta testing phase of like sort of fine tuning everything um, based on user feedback, but we will be coming out of that within probably a month. What event is going to happen as a result of that? Is there an event? Yeah. So at the moment we have like basically, so first of all, we're collecting data um, based on user feedback from our text generation models as to like which responses VG3 gives that are good and bad, basically, as you know, subjectively defined by the user. So we're in the process of collecting those data sets, then manually reviewing them and fine tuning the models again based on those data sets. And also the predictions models, we are also in the process of working with uh, a natural language processing engineer who's helping us fine tune those to be more accurate. We've already achieved like pretty good accuracy, but they're going to be able to be a lot better by the time we're finished our beta test. Hey, let me ask you a question. I had a gentleman on a few podcasts ago by the name of Peter Voss. Mm -hmm. He's the CEO of iGo.ai. And he actually, Peter actually coined the term artificial general intelligence, and he's perfecting what he would say is the hyper-personalized chatbot with a brain. Mm -hmm. Now, his point is, is chat GPT, is not sufficient. You're, you're reliant on whatever it's being trained on. He would even go, maybe go so far. I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but say that, Hey, it's bad data. So a true 
personalized chatbot, and I know you're doing something a little bit different than a chatbot, you're, you're answering questions, et cetera, but he say would have a cognitive architecture behind it. So mm. it has knowledge, understanding, context, even reasoning. That's what he means with the brain. That's why he doesn't use chat GPT. Given your you leveraging chat GPT, which by the way, no harm, no foul, because I use it regularly. I think it's great. What, do, what is your response to that? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you say, uh, it's just somebody trying to do their own thing? What do you think? I think it's a really interesting question. And I think, um, you know, no one really knows the answer until we actually have AGI. And at that point, we'll be able to look back and say, like, who was right? My theory at the moment, and just like my experience with building some of these models, is that the more specific their use case is, the better they perform. So it's it's very hard to actually get an AGI that does everything well. And this relates to what you were talking about with um, like the bad data for chat GPT-3, for example, is it's like when you train something on everything, the whole internet, it's then very hard for a specific use case to pinpoint like what is good and bad data. So I think that really the answer in the short term, at least before we have AGI, is that we can create things that are similar with combinations of very specific fine-tuned models. So to me, I'm less interested in trying to create an artificial general intelligence. Instead, I think that uh, what's more useful is to create some models that are very good at specific tasks and then create other models that know how to assign tasks to them based on what they do. I think through something like that, we can actually get pretty close to an artificial general intelligence with the level of technology we already have as opposed to, you know, needing new technological breakthroughs. Pretty good answer, man. Thank you, Sam. Hey, look, um, anything that you wanted to chat about that I didn't bring up? Yeah, I guess just to let people know that if they want to try VEG3, the website's VEG3.ai. It's free to try it out. You can get up to like 5,000 credits a month uh, as a beta tester. And all of our paid plans are much, much cheaper than getting a human copywriter. (laughs) <laughs> very nice hey where can folks reach you uh so you can find me on linkedin uh sam tucker vegan and yeah that's probably the best way otherwise there's uh the website vegcatalyst.com as well that's the holding company for all of our different brands so you can find all of the links to everything we're doing there you gotta be a busy boy man doing yeah. all kinds of stuff right how, how do you divide uh divide your uh time between those three brands So luckily they are all very interconnected in a sense. So for example, we actually use VEG3 a lot with our marketing agency when we're creating content for our clients. And then Mm -hmm. from that data, we also then use that to train VEG3 to be better. So there's a lot of synergy between everything that we're doing. And as any one of these sort of individual brands grow, it grows the whole ecosystem. Very good. Hey, what do you do for fun when you're not Uh, doing all this? uh, Music. I love making music. What kind of music? Uh, Rap. Rap? Yeah. So are you a rapper? Are you a rapper? Right now, I am a rapper. You want to to, to throw down a rap real quick or or not the right time? Uh, I won't do that to your audience, but uh, if (laughs) anyone is interested in checking that out, I do actually have like some music on Spotify, YouTube and stuff. It's under the name Sense Offense. Say that again. Uh, it's under the name Sense Offense. Sense Offense. 
Any any instruments that you play within it? Yeah, so I personally do play like a bit of guitar and I do like a little bit of like producing beats and stuff, but I haven't really used any of that in the music that I put out publicly because I'm not that good at it. It's just a bit of fun. Uh, but what I'm actually really interested in getting into as well over these like coming years is implementing AI in that music creation process because there's some really interesting stuff that's happening with audio generation at the moment. Fantastic. And you're, you're an interesting dude. Hey, uh, any books or anything that you recommend? What, what's your go-to book? If we're talking like very specifically uh, for like, say, vegan businesses trying to like improve their marketing, the two books I would recommend would be Veganomics and Change of Heart by Nick Cooney. So they're very heavily data-driven looking at the science of effective communications specifically within this niche. So I think those tools are really uh, invaluable. And beyond that, I don't know if I have uh, more general suggestions because to be honest, I'm much more of a podcast guy than I am a reader. Well, give me a podcast. So Lex Friedman's podcast, I absolutely love. Really uh, interesting dude, uh, you know, uh, professor of artificial intelligence at uh, MIT and interviews some really interesting people. And the thing I like about his approach too is like he interviews everyone in a way that is very like empathetic, but also still asking the hard questions at the same time. So you get some really interesting insights out of these people because people don't feel like guarded, like they're being interrogated by a journalist or something. But at the same time, he's you know not afraid to ask those hard questions. Well, with your passion, energy, and interest in so many different things, I don't think you need any luck. But uh, good luck to you, man. This is Thank awesome. You. Appreciate that. And I love, I love that you're you're standing by by your values. That's most important. Awesome. Thanks so much. Appreciate that, and thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thank you so much, listeners. As always, hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Thank you for being here today, and until next time, we will see you on the podcast.